0: Drop to throw, sets his feet down the left side. He's going for LaVisca Chenault, who cuts inside the defender, and he comes up with the football. Oh, are you kidding me? That is a touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado, by the wide receiver, LaVisca Chenault. And one away way to set the record for Steven Montez. Here comes the blitz. Hit. And it's picked off on a throw over the middle. Caught by Nate Lambin, He runs it up the near side. And he stumbles across the 30 yard line. Tripped up by the quarterback, Eason. And it's a turnover. Montez under center. They give it off on the end around the Lavisca Chenot. Who runs over the top of an defender and discards the defensive player and chucks him aside and works his way down to the 30. That right there came down to a will and a want to. And falls to the ball, takes it chest high. He scans, he looks, here comes a blitz. He is grabbed by Perry, and he's sacked. How about that play by the first man? Montez, the snap, play action, sets to throw. He's going for the home run. Tony Brown is in the end zone, and he makes the crowd. End zone, touchdown, touchdown, Colorado. Oh, what a throw. Oh, what a catch by Tony Brown.
1: Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio, Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of buffstampede.com. Joined here by football analyst William Gardner. William, uh, you get the Washington win, the Utah loss since our last podcast, which we did following the Stanford win, 5-7 and seven finish. Just your, your overall thoughts on those final two games and, and your feeling going into the offseason.
2: Well, I was very excited. I think that uh, winning that Washington game and especially Stanford-Washington back-to-back really uh, puts us on a much better trajectory and, and makes everybody feel better uh, and, it, and it certainly makes the loss to Utah feel better especially given they're ranked number six at the time it, it really allows us to feel like there's progress being made and particularly the way the defense played in those two wins late in the season because it kind of felt like after UCLA that, that maybe we wouldn't win again and we got two in a row and I think that makes a huge difference to the players the fans the recruits and everybody so I feel uh, pretty excited. I mean, you know, I I think it's more on the field for Mel Tucker in year one than Scott Frost got, and they wound up top 25 the next year. I'm not saying that that's what we're going to do, but I think there's certainly as much to be excited about as they had.
1: Gary Barnett is usually pretty honest, and I shouldn't say usually, he is a very honest guy. He told the Denver Post that Mel Tucker's much further ahead after year one as any of the other coaches that have, you know, come after him. It feels that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he came in with a plan, and, and it seems very, you know, people ask, well, how come he was never a head coach before this? But I think he kind of bided his time until he got the right job, and I think he worked with some really good coaches, and he has a very clear plan on how he wants to do things and how to turn things around. And uh, he is very... He, he, I'm struck by his calm and his and his um, belief in himself and his plan and uh, getting people to do what he wants them to do. And, and so I think he is – I agree with that statement. I think he's really ahead of the game as well.
1: Not that a five-game losing streak is something that you want to see if you're a Colorado fan, but I would say maybe more than anything the way he handled that losing streak. There's a lot of reason to stray away from – the no excuses and and, you know the things that he said that he was going to do as a head coach Um, and, and obviously 18 to 22 year olds feed off that well you know frankly they
2: wouldn't have been excuses I mean they would have been legitimate reasons I mean the injuries that they had at key critical positions where they couldn't afford injuries I don't think anybody could have survived that now the thing that jumps out at me is you look back at the last three coaching staff, last four coaching staff, well, last three coaching staffs at CU. They wouldn't have pulled out of that five loss losing five game losing streak, and probably wouldn't have got one of those wins later on. I don't think. So that shows me that the players didn't lose faith in the locker room. They didn't give up, uh, and the, the assistant coaches never stopped coaching, and, and players kept getting better. Uh, And they didn't make excuses. They just kept working and trusting the system.
1: He was on Clay Travis's podcast. I was listening to that. Well, first off, Mike McIntyre hung up on Clay Travis. So (laughs) it's a little bit interesting. It's a little bit different situation. He was kind of badgering Mike McIntyre about other job opportunities. Yeah. For Mel Tucker to go on this guy's podcast and realize you got to deal with maybe some media members that you're not going to agree with 100% of the time, but he said the, the best moment of his coaching career, despite the fact he's been on national championship teams, is the feeling he had after the Stanford game. Obviously, that was the game that, that broke the losing streak. So right. It was interesting to hear that.
2: Well, and, it, and it mean, I think it means a lot. It's great to be, I mean, as a player and a coach, I've been on the team that won the championship or part of the program at any rate. And then also, uh, I was around in Boulder with the program, I came in right after I, I was part of the one and ten season under Bill McCartney and so then I was there for seven and five and everything else. And that season, that turnaround season, that seven and five season means more to me looking back than the ten the you know, the undefeated season and the national championship season because it's just something very special and, and you're part of it and I think what he's talking about is that uh these these kids believed, and they and they stuck with it, and they trusted, even though there was no evidence on the scoreboard that this was going to work. And so when it happens, it means a lot because you did that. You're not just coming in on board of something else that somebody else built. You built that. You did that.
1: When you look back at the season, what were the highlights and the lowlights for you?
2: Beating Nebraska. I mean, two years in a row, beating Nebraska, and particularly – walking into that stadium and seeing how much red was in there it was really disheartening and then it was kind of an up and down and then winning that game and sending them I think we really kind of cut the legs out from under them and they didn't do anything close to what they were expected after that so that was a highlight I was thinking about this question today and I was thinking how far we've really come some distance as a program because beating CSU is not a highlight anymore. It's an expectation now. Um, so the Nebraska game, and then uh, I don't know whether the – I think beating Washington actually means more to me than Stanford because they're still a lot better this year maybe than Stanford, and, and that's that's a team we haven't beat, and so that was a, a highlight. The lows, well, you know, we look at the fact that we didn't get bowl eligible, and I look back and, and think about Arizona and, and Air Force – and it's hard to swallow those two losses. I don't care how many games Air Force won; they won in the Mountain West Conference, and we shouldn't have. They're ever still lose.
1: favored over Washington State in and, the whole game.
2: Well, we'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm just biased, and I can't get over the bias and, and grasp reality. But um, I get down to the, to the, the extra, the, the kick they blocked against us, and I just can't get past the feeling that they wanted it more than we did. And I, that's hard for me to swallow. And then Arizona's just not a good team. But, boy, they've just really had our number the last couple of years. And, and so you look back, it, it's one thing if you beat those two teams and you wind up with five wins and you lose to Stanford and, Arizona, or Stanford and Washington because, well, that's the way it was supposed to happen. But then you beat Stanford and Washington and you look back and think, man, yeah, we very well could have had seven wins and be a bowl game. But I think if we played those teams again at the end of the season, it'd be a different outcome. So those are my low points.
1: If they face Khalil Tate in the last couple of weeks of the season when the defense had started to make strides, probably a different right. outcome of that game.
2: Absolutely. absolutely. To me,
1: I just keep thinking back to Steven Montez getting knocked out against USC. At that point, they were rolling in that game and... It seemed like he was just kind of off after he came back right. in the game.
2: There was no question about it.
1: And they don't call a penalty when earlier in the game. Was it Nate Lambin? Somebody, right. very similar play for CU gets flagged for that. Well, um, and, if, and if
2: you're looking at that game, I think there was two, maybe three places, three plays where they lost the ball and it bounced and bounced and bounced. Yeah. And like two or three of our guys, could, and one of them was right down by the goal line, and I think maybe it was a Jones or somebody somebody had the ball and it bounced and just squirted out. I think it was a
1: new move to was, follow, wasn't it?
2: Oh, was it? I, 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 I yeah, I think you might be right. And it was so frustrating because you're thinking, oh my God, if we could just get the bounce, if we yeah. could just get the it's like God wants us to lose the Southern Cal for some reason.
1: <laughs> and it would have been that would have been another feather in this coaching staff's cap, obviously getting that that first one over USC and but hey, there's hope. Clay Helton got retained there. Right. A lot of negativity with that program, so we'll wow. See.
2: Yeah, well, I, one of our one of the people on the board was was texting me about, uh, hey, it looks like Buff stuff is happening at Southern Cal now, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, it's happening to our, our our good buddy Mike Bone, who uh, he's a good person. Just I, I had issues with him when he was at Colorado, and Rick George coming in. Uh, you know, that's a tough comparison to make.
2: Well, I, I and I think it's very—I I don't really understand Mike Bone as an athletic director. Nice guy, but he just doesn't seem to be cut out to be— I think he'd be great as an athletic director at a place that didn't have football. Okay. You know, where, where it's the other sports, and he can—I I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad taste in my mouth from his time here, but you get Rick George in here after him, and you see the very clear difference— uh, If nothing else, just the fundraising. Yeah. Which fundraising is just about hard work and being willing to to face rejection and take no and and keep on going.
1: What uh, surprises, disappointments, anything
2: else? You know, the the improvement of the defense in those two games was a real big surprise to me because I'd kind of given up and thought, well, okay, these guys are not going to make it. And then to have them show up the way they did against Stanford and Washington, which... I suppose that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. It takes a while to implement a defense. It takes a while for guys to figure out what you want to do. And if you if you look at just look at Nate Lamb in the first half of the season versus the second half, and in the second half he was Nate, Nate Lamb again because yeah. he wasn't thinking about it. He was just playing. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, it's a little bit of a disappointment that Stephen Montez never ended up being consistently. That guy from the Oregon game in 2016. I think we all were hoping for that, and it never really materialized. Just very up and down, and maybe that, maybe that hit in in the Southern Cal game. I don't know. Maybe he was on on his way, and that had. I don't. Know, I, I don't know. So that's a little bit of a disappointment to me that Steven never really lived up to the expectations I had for him.
1: Well, it, the expectations uh, he had to have for himself. Yeah. You know what I mean, with the talent that he has.
2: Right. And maybe, maybe I'm unrealistic. Maybe I expected too much from him. And maybe that Oregon game just spoiled him for all of us, that we expected to see that every week. And we got it from time to time, but never in an extended period like we hoped to.
1: Before we get into looking ahead and, and talking about the, the best players returning, some areas of strength going forward, let's talk about the coaching MVPs in 2019 I think I have a pretty good guess as to who you are going to mention here.
2: I, I should say Tillman and just throw you throw you completely <laughs> off. I, I I have to go with Coach Cap, and I would also do a co with Jimmy Brumbaugh because, uh, particularly with Coach Brumbaugh, he had nothing. I mean, he started out with three or two guys coming back who had played at this level yeah, one of those guys Mustafa
1: johnson's hurt right stole right season.
2: loses loses one of those guys for about half the season and still ends up putting out a pretty decent defense you know not great they didn't dominate but by the end of the season that's a pretty good defensive line and every single one of those guys got better as i watched him play there was clear improvement for um jalen sammy there was clear improvement for terrence lang uh Again, makes you shake your head and wonder what would have happened if uh, Mustafa Johnson was healthy all year. Because when he was healthy, he was pretty much unblockable. And then watching the development of Austin Williams and... um,
1: Naeem Rodman?
2: Naeem Rodman, the the young guys. And... uh, Towards the end, I even I even saw you know saw some plays from um, Janaz Jordan and from our other Juco. Jeremiah Doss Jeremiah Dosch made a couple of plays there in the last couple of games as well. So guys got better under him, and then the improvement of the offensive line. I don't think that's a mystery to anybody that that clearly clearly that offensive line was significantly better this year, mostly with the same guys. The addition of Hambright, but mostly the same guys as last year, and an entirely different. Uh, product, so I would say those two guys.
1: I would throw Tyson Summers in there if we're talking coaching MVPs. Uh, Mel Tucker obviously has a defensive background. He is the head coach, so he's going to have his stamp on things. But I've all I've gotten the impression that he's the coach that lets his coaches coach. So even during games, it didn't seem like he was always constantly butting in. So that improvement you saw from the defense, you got to throw some credit to Tyson Summers as well. And he realized, hey we're not going to beat these other teams by rushing three guys. Right. So got really creative, and and you even saw Chris Peterson at Washington mentioned that he was raving about what they were doing on third down because it was bringing a lot of confusion. And and at that point, they had been doing it for a few weeks, so it was obviously clearly hard to even with – game film to, to fully prepare right. for all the different elements of what they were doing with the, their pass rush.
2: And I watched that again. You know, I record all the games on the DVR, and I watched them again, and, and, and the announcers were going, oh, look at those adjustments and the things that, that Mel Tucker's doing, and I don't think Tyson Summers got a lot of the credit. And we, while we're talking about it, you know, I, I said Tillman kind of jokingly, but you know, guys were dropping like flies. There, there was a point in the season where it, it, we... I was wondering if we were going to have anybody. It was we're going to have to. Well, we did bring over wide receivers and and transitioned them over some of the young guys to cornerback, and he made it work. You know, not great. We didn't. You know, it wasn't the iron curtain or anything like that. But but uh, he he got those two young guys, Trujillo and um, I'm trying to think who else, uh, Tariq Luckett. Tariq Luckett. And, and and did a pretty good job with them. Yeah. So he, I think he has to get some credit as well.
1: I think the top boss countdown this year is going to be really interesting. There's not like a clear—I mean, obviously, Nate Landman's going to be a guy. Right. and Johnson, those guys are right. right behind the list. But you start getting down below that, I think there's going to be maybe more uh, dissenting opinions on this list than there there has been in, in recent years.
2: Well, I think that I think it's going to look very different in August than it would do if we did it right now because I think guys are going to develop and, and come out in spring and summer and really show a lot of improvement which is the nature of young guys that that are putting in the work that some guys are going to come back next year and be very different
1: i mentioned Mustafa Johnson Nate Lamb and those are obvious guys uh, who else when you think about 2020 for Colorado what should make you make you really excited for what their future holds
2: well william sherman's going to get drafted by somebody up at before you know whenever he ends up leaving here i think he's a guy who could potentially play his way into to at least discussion of leaving early next year given how dominant he was um through most of the season this year i mean just really dominant in in many ways and uh so he's a guy for sure i think uh uh, i think everybody saw how important colby purcell was um carrie kutch was was very solid up front
1: I think until the Utah game, Purcell was undefeated in games he had played in.
2: Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, um, so on offense, and, and then I think there's there's a lot of people of wide receiver that could possibly jump out. I think obviously Mustafa, Terrence Lang was really coming on at the end of the season. Um, Jalen Sammy is a guy to me who looks like a future NFL player as well because he became very dominant by the end of the year and when I talk about a nose guard being dominant I'm not talking about like making sacks and making lots of tackles but taking up lots of uh, uh, blockers and actually making more tackles towards the end of the season than he did early in the year but his size and athleticism um, which is evidenced as much by that tackle on that one long punt return as anything else that that kid at his size can run and move and has super long arms and, and is a, a really fantastic talent, I think, up front. Um Akil Jones came on at the end of the year and was, was fantastic.
1: Most yeah. improved player gotta
2: yeah, be. I, I would think so, for sure. I mean and um you know he's always had the injuries and, and he showed flashes in practice here and there, but man, he, he was a rock in those last few games at inside linebacker
1: next to landman. Um, Jared Rakestraw was Jared. the guy that made some big plays. He uh, still, I think, is working towards consistency, but when he flashes, it seems like his plays are, are big impact plays. Well,
2: yeah, I was just thinking he, he's turned into a playmaker, big time playmaker, and, and he's got the. He's starting to look like an NFL player in his size and body, and I think now that he's got two years of playing the position under his belt, because I don't think he, I don't know how much he played it in high school, but. You know he came in as a wide receiver and then transitioned over and, and this year I think he really became comfortable and earned that spot so I look at him as a as a definitely a strength on the defense
1: next year. One guy that I'm anxious to see what he produces in 2020 is Carson Wells. Right. He was very high on our top ups countdown because if you looked at the last five games of the 2018 season he was kind of like Akil Jones was late in the season right. just really consistent he was getting a lot of pressure off the edge Mel Tucker calls him the most underrated guy during preseason camp. Uh, Mikulowski talks a lot about his potential in the preseason, and we all expected him—I don't know—seven, eight, nine, ten sacks. And and it took—he did have a concussion early in the season. It just took a long time, and I don't know if he was pressing or it just was a. Uh, kind of a coincidental thing where he just was not able to make the big plays but we finally saw some flashes of him late in the season
2: yeah late those last three games or so and then, again maybe it's just learning learning the defense and, and not having to think about it and just play again and then I think they also figured out ways to utilize him and they started bringing him up the middle more I, I remember one blocked pass maybe it was against Washington close to the line of scrimmage and they were bringing him from different areas and he was really getting pressured from that perspective, but his combination of size and athleticism is NFL level, and I keep I keep saying that. Now I'm not saying any of these guys are going to play in the NFL. Who knows? It remains to be seen. But we're seeing guys on this roster now who we can legitimately legitimately look at as uh, guys who can maybe play at the next level, and I think he's certainly one of them.
1: On offense, Dimitri Stanley had some ups and downs, but he, I think that experience is going to pay off. Yeah. And, and maybe being on the field more, because, you know, there were times that they had so many experienced upperclassmen that he was not out there all the time.
2: Right, and I I kept waiting for him to explode, you know, and I think it was with the Washington game. He had a couple of really huge catches for first downs late in the game, and I, and, and that's what I was looking for all season long. And, and I kind of feel like maybe he is, uh, you know, like like some people hold back a little bit because, well, those other guys are the stars, not me. You know, LaVisca and Katie Nixon and Tony Brown. And uh, maybe he was still trying to figure out that he belongs at that level. And so he's another one that comes back next year and is very exciting and, and should do a lot for us. I think, the, you know, I, I like what I saw of our two running backs and then there were, little flashes from um, others as the season kind of went along. So, a lot of people that I look at and think could really help us moving forward and then there's some question mark positions.
1: On the old line with Tim Lanotte graduating, I'd imagine Kobe Purcell probably moves back in. Uh, Coach Cap did mention some positive things about Josh Shines, but I'd probably be surprised if he's a starter at this point. But he's been a guy that's worked hard. is Casey Roddick probably slated in there with Frank Phillip then taking over left tackle.
2: Well, you know, Roddick was disappointing this year. Um, he had some issues with penalties. Uh, some of them were, you know, uh, in his head penalties like jumping early. Some of them were technique penalties like holding. Uh, and he didn't play nearly as well this year as I thought he was going to do. But I think he still got a lot of talent moving forward, and he's a young guy. Uh, still, I think he's still trying to work his body into shape. He's still carrying more weight than he needs to, so that'll get better next year. And then there's just nothing like experience on the field to help a guy get better. So I, I would expect him to get the first shot. I would be surprised if he's not the guy next year. Um, I think Frank Phillip steps into that left tackle spot, and he's certainly got the the everything you want in terms of size, length, and, and athletic ability. And he's had a little bit of playing experience. So I like what we have up front on the offensive line next year. we got a couple of young guys coming in this spring that are exciting. going to be fun to watch uh, Carson Lee and Jake Ray. Um, Cannon Ray is another guy to keep an eye on. Certainly got a lot of talent. And I think, you know, people are often like Cannon Ray. Well, how you had not played that much? Obviously, he had not lived up to his reputation. Well, they're offensive linemen they really shouldn't be playing until their third or fourth year in the program as far as i'm concerned because it's a position that needs a lot of strength and it's more technically demanding than probably any position on the field because they're i don't know how to put this except they're the worst athletes on the field so it's all about technique and if they don't have the technique down it takes a long time to learn uh so i i'm still high on all these guys very excited about that. Uh, Austin Austin Johnson is another guy that I've heard some good things about yeah. coming out of practice, so a lot to work with for Cap and, and the other thing that I think is going to be of a real benefit this spring is we're going to have enough defensive linemen to uh, really test all those guys. Yeah.
1: One guy we didn't mention there is Kari Cush. Uh, obviously, we expected Hambright and William Sherman to do well, Tim LaNotte experienced. Was Cush maybe the the most pleasant surprise in terms of that offensive line group.
2: He really was, and I would say, from first game to last, he was probably the most consistent guy on the whole offensive line. You know, he's not he's not physically dominant the way William Sherman is, but he's good and he's solid and he's and he's technically sound and and. Um, he's a guy that doesn't hurt you and make mistakes and so he i think he's a very solid piece in in that group and i'm looking forward to seeing what he does now as a senior um now that he's had a full year of playing quite a bit so he's one nobody's beating him out i don't think of the guys that we have coming up i think i think he and purcell and william sherman are sure things well you know knock on wood barring injury but uh so then we fill those other two spots and have some competition we're going to have a real competition
1: now this staff created a new award which they handed out Sunday at the team banquet it's called the relentless award and Brady Russell won that he's a yeah. uh, blue collar uh, rough moment there with the pick in the Oregon game but aside from that uh, he was a guy that just goes about his business the way you, you wish every player would
2: right you know kind of heart, you know old school I guess and He's like his uncle in that respect, who who was that same kind of uh, thing. Matt Russell an inside. Matt Russell was an old school Dick Butkus inside linebacker. You know, just would would beat people up and was a lot of fun. And I think you reported or you had an interview with with um, Brady, and he was talking about you know his uncle telling him, "Well, th- this is Russell. This is how the family plays football." Yeah, and he's living up to that in a big way.
1: Yeah, it was. It was the Russells never lacked confidence. Right.
2: Yeah, something
1: like that. <laughs> James Stefano got his his hip ball fixed up, and when he's been healthy, he's been automatic. Right. I know your favorite thing in the world is to talk about specialists, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you chime in on this. Well, I, I, you know, going back to one, one of the season highlights,
2: one of the—it one of the, it still kind of chokes me. up to think about one of the best moments that I've seen in Colorado football in a long time was when they all lifted— um, you can't even remember his name. I, uh, hey, what are you, why are you got to call me out, man? Uh, Price Evan was it? Which, yes, was, yeah, Evan and Price it. up on their shoulders after the game, and you know, we were both there watching that game, and, and and we got a little tear in our. I mean, it was it was it's like magical Rudy type moment. You know, the walk on save wins the game at the last minute. They all lifted him, and you know they almost trampled him first, but but uh, so that that was one of my favorite moments of the season as well. To see a kid, like, you know, do do a thing like that. Yeah. And to see his teammates. And that was actually a moment that, that really made me feel like this is a, this, Mel Tucker's got something going on here because these guys love each other, which makes a big difference.
1: It's telling, too, when you have former players that played for Mike McIntyre and Dan Hawkins and John Embry tweeting out, I wish I had, right. I had the opportunity to play for Mel Tucker.
2: Right. Well, players know, you know especially after as you get older and you look back on things. uh, I think it's sometimes hard when you're in the middle of it as a player or coach or whatever to to have a big picture, but then when you get a little older and you look back, you you can tell.
1: Yeah. What are your main areas of strength as these buffs move forward in in year two under Mel Tucker? Well, this is going to sound
2: crazy, but I think both lines are going to be an area of strength, both offensive and defensive lines. I think we've got a lot of... uh, talent and ability and experience coming back on both sides of the line of scrimmage and you know the old adage is that if you can win up front you can win games and so I'm very encouraged by what Coach Cap and Coach Brumbaugh are building there you throw in Antonio Alfano and if he, if he even comes close to living up to, to his expectations it could be something very special uh, so that that's one thing for sure I think is an area of strength. I think our running backs is an area of strength. I think our receivers will continue to be an area of strength. Uh, I think the fact that we played a lot of, of guys at cornerback will somewhat make that an area of, area of strength. I think we got four guys coming back that we we feel we can trust there. Um, I think our inside linebackers are going to be as good as anybody in the conference uh, with uh, both in terms of the starters with Landman and Jones and then the depth with you know jonathan van Teest, and you know we'll see what happens with some of those young guys ham and Pell, and what have you but that's a that's an area of strength now
1: the question marks are obvious we don't know who the starting quarterback's right. going to be aside from darian rakestraw we have no idea how that safety situation is right. going to look uh tight end you're going to need caleb fourier or maybe right. lewis passarello or maybe jared poplowski to you know, finally, kind of emerge right. after having to deal with a lot of injuries, or maybe a Luke Stillwell that we just haven't heard him right. much about because he's been learning that position as a converted quarterback. So,
2: and um, I, I, I'm not sure who the other outside linebacker is at you, this point. And, yeah. and one thing this team desperately, need, you know, you look at 2016, we don't have a pass rusher, not yet. I mean, you know, maybe wells develops into that guy maybe alfano turns into that guy maybe terrence lang takes it up a notch and he's that guy but there's nobody coming out of this season i think that was the single biggest thing we were missing on the defense is, is a is a natural dangerous pass rusher
1: there's a reason they're going to be bringing in probably four outside linebackers yeah. in this recruiting class
2: right because that it's a huge area of need right now
1: any other concerns for you going forward no, I think
2: I think that pretty much you know the that safety situation is scary and and you know nobody knows what's going to go on at, at at the quarterback position. So
1: yeah, yeah, we were going to talk some about recruiting. Uh, we did get some questions about that in our mailbag, which we'll go a little deeper in that. And we're actually shooting a bunch of videos for signing day today, so we'll have uh, great coverage up on BuffStampede.com on December eighteenth. And this new early signing period, William, it is, I mean, this is taken over, at least for most power conference programs, as the main day, and unless you're going through a coaching change, this year, you know, a lot of these guys have been committed to see you for a long time. If they're not signing on December 18th, you're not committed, and right. uh, I anticipate, I mean, there's still a few guys here and there, that we're not going to talk a lot about on this podcast because it could be out of date by the time right. people listen to this, but by and large, they have this class pretty much wrapped up there's a couple pieces here and there that can move around or be added
2: you know and there's been a lot of talk back and forth on the board with regards to a couple of guys and, and are the coaches closers and what have you and, and here's the thing I would like to say about that is okay I don't know none of us knows what a 17 18 year old is going to do at the, at the end of the day and so you know the class may turn out where it is now and what we expect and we may lose a couple of guys who knows I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other but clearly the recruiting with this staff is at a much higher level because those guys are here, and, and they're down to the wire with us. And, you know, we're going to win some of those. We're going to lose some of those. Bill McCartney was a great recruiter. He didn't get all those guys. Sometimes he lost some. Okay, it doesn't mean – and, again, I don't know one way or the other how any of this is going to break out, but if, if we lose a couple of those guys at the last minute, it doesn't mean that Mel Tucker's not a closer. You don't win every battle best recruiters in the country don't win every battle. Uh, But the difference is now we're in the battle and now we're fighting it out. And so, you know, we have hope now, I think, to bring in a much higher level of recruit. And this is coming off a five-win season with some pretty bad losses in there, quite frankly. So you have to wonder what Mel Tucker will do when he's got seven or eight wins.
1: Yeah. Before we jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag, we talked about the top players returning who are you most looking forward to? That might be kind of underrated or under the radar a little bit more. So, who are you most looking forward to watching this spring? Hopefully, you know, obviously, the spring game will be open to the public. We'll find out if if others will be as as well.
2: Dante Sparaco and Cannon Ray.
1: Interesting. Yeah, okay. two
2: two guys that haven't. So, from what I've heard, uh, Dante Sparaco was really excellent on the scout team and it was scout team player of the week a few times I Bunch think. A times. Yeah, yeah yeah and uh from what I've heard from people you know my sources is that uh he did a really good job of, of against that first team first and second team offensive line uh getting ready for them so I really want to see what he looks like this spring uh when he can get to play next year and he's yeah. always been a guy with a with a really good work ethic and a high motor and I think he's a guy that's really going to give us something. And then Cannon Ray is a guy we've been watching for a few years. And and so uh, this will be the the first time that he's coming out of a season without injuries and he can just really throw himself into that weight program and and come in in spring and and let's see what he does now that he's a little older, a little more sure of his technique and things like that. So those those two come immediately to mind. Um, And then, man, the quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, that's where everybody's going to be watching is – and not,
1: and not obviously, if I'm allowed in there for more than just the spring game, the first player I'm going to be watching is Brandon Lewis. That's just natural to see what yeah. this new quarterback right. looks like. But even Tyler Lytle and Blake Stenstrom, what do these guys look against when they get reps against the first team defense, which is now all of a sudden a pretty decent group? Uh, this is, I mean, as wide open a quarterback competition as I can remember at CU. Maybe going back to when. Uh, Jordan Webb started because they frankly didn't have any talent at that position. It yeah. was probably not a memory I should have brought up <laughs> on this podcast. But, it, you know, it, it went from it was Montez before him, Cepho before him. You thought Connor Wood was going to be the guy. It didn't right. end up being that way.
2: Other guys, that, it, it, as we've been talking, kind of popped to mind. To, some of those linebackers like Ham and Josh Allen, I'd like to see what they do.
1: This. And, uh, Alec Pell was actually Alec named uh, one right. of the Scout <clears throat> team defensive players of the year. Do you think he's staying at inside linebacker? I do, yeah. Do you think? Because mm-hmm. I mean, he was such
2: a natural pass rusher in high school.
1: And at least for now. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. And Brumbaugh mentioned Lloyd Murray Jr. That's the other one I was going to say. Another D lineman I'm anxious yeah, to see that's out there
2: because the he's been talking about how he really came on. And, you know, he was a guy. He was another guy like like Jordan Berry, who was very highly recruited. And um, you never know exactly what happens with all these things, but uh, ended up with us and really kind of came on at the end of the year, according to what uh, Coach Brumbaugh is saying.
1: Nigel Bethel, Jr., cornerback that transferred from yeah, Miami. Miami. Really quiet kid. He's not going to get a lot of uh, airtime with the press. But right. Anxious to see if he's – because even without him, you really like the depth and talent at corner. Right. He would make that a group that where you're going, probably six deep before right. you're really, you know, too concerned at that position.
2: You know, and, and, and so we're looking pretty good right there at cornerback, and it, and it just – refocuses me back on that safety position and i think somebody on the board yesterday or today said um that uh, mel tucker is gonna sit down with some people and say look look at this safety depth chart don't you want to change positions and i think we're probably going to see some people there that we're not thinking about right now at this point and that triggered another name in my head another guy i want to see this spring is daniel Arias because we keep waiting for him to kind of blow up mm-hmm. and, and he does very exciting things and now with LaVisca out of the picture, there's an opening for a guy with his size and skills, and then Tony Brown gone too. So,
1: what about Vonte Chenault?
2: Vontae Chenault is another one. <laughs> so, you know, you're pointing out, I think, the sort of the, the improvement of this roster. Which pre- provides more excitement for all of us because there's a lot of names we can point at now where some years in the past there weren't a lot of guys you could really legitimately point at to be excited yeah. about.
1: A guy like Trey Udolphia, <laughs> too, at safety, he had some personal issues, wasn't with the team early on this season, did play on special teams and I believe, the last seven games. Can he be a guy? Because... Yeah, he had issues a little bit when teams would pick on him when he was a cornerback, but he's a really good athlete, and, and now he's an upperclassman, and if he's got everything figured out, he could maybe factor in uh, to that battle for that starting job next to Rake Straw.
2: Well, you sure hope so, and I think, um, I don't know, You know, all I can count on him is my own two lion eyes, but I think he got a little heavy and maybe you know needs to rededicate himself in the strength and conditioning program, but he's another guy... I I suppose he's got as good a chance at that other safety spot as anybody out there. I mean, I guess... Unless they
1: want to move Mark Perry, but I think at this point, until you have another established pass rusher, it'd be hard to take him out of that role.
2: Right. We didn't really talk about this, but, you know, the guy I think we're going to miss most, obviously, everybody's going to say LaVisca, but I think the guy we're going to really miss is Davion Taylor because he was coming on big time as the season uh, sort of wore down. And he's got a combination of size and speed and skills that just doesn't come around very often. So finding the right guy to to replace him at that star position is a high priority. And and Mark Perry has got to be your obvious first place you look.
1: Yeah. That term, he's got sideline to sideline speed, is overused. But I don't know if I've seen a CU... Defender be able to track down guys from behind better than Davion Taylor, and he wasn't the most consistent player in, in uh, for obvious reasons. He was very raw when he got here and has right. to play two different right. type of positions. But when he was just in the open field chasing down somebody, I mean, that was really fun to watch. Well,
2: some of the hits he laid on some of those Washington guys made me cringe sitting in the stands watching. I'm like, wow, yeah. that that guy for his future and his career. Really came on at the right time. And I think, I don't know if he'll get a combine invite, but when they come to Pro Day, they're going to be looking at their watches yeah. and going, What? What did you get?
1: Yeah.
2: You know, because he, he's a guy that's just, the NFL likes their numbers, and he's going to give them numbers. Yeah. Like Second
1: number. buff drafted, I would imagine. Probably.
2: April. Probably.
1: Yeah. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede mailbag. Buff Bro Koala asked, Who was the most improved buff in your eyes during the season? He also asked, "What scout team guy made the biggest impression? Most improved?" I said earlier in our podcast who I thought it was.
2: Yeah, I would say Akeel Jones is the, yeah. is the obvious one to me. Um, I guess on offense, I'm trying to think who on offense. But well, Kari Kuch, I mean, it's hard to hard to beat somebody that basically hadn't played before to come in and be as good as he was. Yeah. But uh, Akeel Jones in those in those last four games, I mean, I was frankly blown away by what he was doing there in, in all regards uh ability to read the offense ability to take on blockers ability to fill the fill the holes so those would be the, the two that really come to my mind I, I also maybe um would say um uh oh who was i, I think i'm having a little alex font frankly okay you know, he he was always a guy that that everybody talked about had potential but he really came through and stored and and Showed it in games this time.
1: Even you can mention Darian Rakestraw. I mean, oh yeah, his emergence yeah. was to the point where Aaron Maddox couldn't get back on the field right. and ended up deciding to transfer. Yeah,
2: which you know I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I've been thinking about that as one of the turning points of the season. Quite frankly, I think is when I, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what happened, but it strike it sounds to me as if um, Aaron Maddox had a problem and 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 Mel Tucker said, "This is my team." and this is how it's going to be. And, you know, I remember being at Wake Forest when uh, Jim Grove was in his first year and, and I was working with a defensive line coach and the best player on the team was a defensive tackle who got in trouble during spring ball. And I was in the room with a defensive line coach said, look, this coach is looking to, to make an example. This coach is looking for somebody to show everybody else that he's not kidding. And when you tell a uh, starter on, the, on a defense that you're not fitting what we're looking for and go find another place to play. I think everybody sees that and they realize that this coach is not kidding around.
1: Yeah. And there's always two sides to every story. Right. But with Aaron Maddox, he could be starting here next year. It's close to, I wouldn't say guarantee, but I think you'd be penciling him in at the very least. Right. If not erasable ink, right? I mean, like, right. he would be slated to be starting next to Ray Straw. And now he's got to go sit out somewhere.
2: Right. And... Uh, and I think that's that's the clearest, one of the clearest things that I've seen since Mel Tucker got here, that he's going to do things his way. And there's not going to be favorites or what have you that you're going to get along with the program or you're going to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah. And there's two ways to transfer. You know, Darion Jones, it, it's clear he was just, you know, not going to play a lot the rest of the right. season. But he comes to Mel Tucker and says, whatever you need from me, do you want me on scout team? What can I do? I'll graduate. So you don't take the APR hits versus Aaron Maddox, which does this on travel day. Right. After practicing all week. Uh, but it's, uh, in the past now, right. Uh, In terms of special teams, you mentioned Dante Sparaco. That's definitely one to mention. Alc Pell again. Or scout team. You mean? Yeah. What did I
2: say? You said special team.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the correction there. Um, Fonte Chanel did well, right on, on
2: scout team. Yeah, uh, so he was one, and I was trying to think of. I was I just looking at the list of award winners for the scout team.
1: How about Matt Ryan, the the walk on quarterback? Walk on
2: quarterback, <laughs> right? And so, hey, conspiracy guys, here's your next starting quarterback, scout team player of the year, and then. But yeah, Dante Sparaco, from what I hear, was uh, really good on the on the scout team. But he wasn't the defensive scout team player of the year, was it Alec Pell?
1: Offensive scout players of the year, Austin Johnson and Matt Ryan, who we talked about. Right. And then defensively, Alec Pell, who we talked about, and safety Ryan Travis.
2: And I like that I like that you have two uh, true two, two, two freshmen who really have a future with the program, who are scout team players of the year in Austin Johnson and Alec Pell, because that gives you a nice feeling for the future. Of those two positions that those two guys did so well and keep in mind that as a scout team guy you're going against the starters on a regular basis so that gives you some good uh, experience going against those types of guys
1: at the same time you're kind of following the script true
2: right so you you know back in my day they would have a big card and you'd look at it and see what you're supposed to do but nevertheless you know you're still going live against semi-live at any rate against guys that are better than you at this point
1: C. Bardeen asked, "The offense was disappointing again. Do you think there will be further scheme changes given a new quarterback next year?" Well,
2: uh, I think they got to sit down and look at everything that worked and didn't work this year. Um, I think they've got some very different types of quarterbacks when you when you look at. Uh, um, Brendan Lewis versus, say, a Tyler Lytle and a Blake Stenstrom. Those are different kinds of guys. So who's going to come in? I'm not quite sure how they get how they uh, sort that out in spring. I'm not 100% sure that I feel like they had an identity this year in terms of what the scheme was. So I think they need to figure that out in, in a larger sense, not just because of the quarterbacks, but let's figure out what we're going to be. Because we talked. they talked about let's be a team that runs the ball when we want to run the ball. And then against Southern Cal, at the end of the game, they stopped running the ball. Not because they stopped us, but because they chose to start throwing the ball instead. So figure out what you are, is what I would say. And I don't think that they had an answer to that question this year.
1: Knees and elbows asked, Gun to your head, who is the starting quarterback to open the 2020 season for the Buffs? You go first.
2: Put the gun to your head first.
1: With quarterbacks... I always have the, I want to see them on campus, see what they look right. like. My answer could change five minutes into the first spring practice. Right. But right now, I would, gun to my head, I would say Tyler Lytle.
2: I'm going to go with Stenstrom. Okay. I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I just enjoyed that that long run against Southern Cal in his <laughs> first play ever. Uh
1: but, Did you enjoy his first pass at Washington State?
2: Not so much. <laughs> or or the uh, first read option, what game was that, where they tried to read option and then they dropped the ball on the ground and he had to run back and jump on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there was highs, there was lows. Uh, but uh, I don't know, you know, he's a big athletic kid. He's probably more athletic than anybody else. I think people don't really expect that yeah. uh, from him. and. I don't know, I loved his his dad as a quarterback was really good and you, I I sort of feel like if you grew up with a dad like that you talked a lot about football and how to play quarterback and that's sort of built into your yeah. DNA so I, I I don't really know but he said gun to my head so that's what oh,
1: no for. I like it we're a yeah. little where we differ there and I I didn't bring up the Washington State pick to be mean to Blake Stenson <laughs> yeah. he's an incredible incredibly personable young man right. really smart. <laughs> Um, And it'd be cool to see him, you know, have success. Catnip Lover420 asked, With the season closing, any insight as to what went down with Eudophia? And additionally, how did CU come to start a walk-on at safety in lieu of him or Isaiah Lewis? Just know that it's personal with him. I mean, I haven't done a lot of digging because even if I did find out. But it it wasn't disciplinary. Right. So, I, I mean...
2: You know, there are things that go on in life sometimes that are bigger than football, and and you have to take care of those things, and that held him out for a while. And, you know, we talked about how uh, a lot of the players in the defense really came along because they started to really understand the defense, and and I think a lot of that is playing time. And he didn't miss a lot of those reps early on. He missed practice reps, he missed playing reps, and so he didn't come along as fast as those other guys. Isaiah Lewis, I I don't know. You know, I'm not there in practice. I don't know what they saw. I guess maybe they decided that a fifth-year senior uh, had more going on in in the mental part of the game. Um,
1: It was was definitely a combination of Lucas Cooper being somebody, you know, they placed him on scholarship, they felt comfortable with him. And also a little disappointing that some of these other scholarship guys had not... Developed. To it, yeah. you, you can't blame Sam Neuer for not be ready in that spot. No. I mean.
2: And I think Lucas Cooper is a guy who understood the defense. And, and sometimes you've got to put a guy out there that knows what he's got to do. I mean, you know, as a coach, I've put guys out there who are lesser players because I know they'll do what they are supposed to do. They won't do it as well as the other guy, but the other guy won't be in the right place to do the right thing. So sometimes yeah. you go with the guy who understands the defense and puts you in the best positions over the guy with more natural ability. And, and again, not being in practice, I, I don't know. You, you know, that, that would have to be Tyson Summers' nose.
1: He almost got a sack in the game. Yeah, cool him but him a couple pass. of them.
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I thought there was a couple of times, you know, that he got in there and, and he bounced off that guy one time and did a pretty good job for, you know, who he is.
1: Oli Buff asked, what is your opinion of the new cornerback's coach, and how are players responding to him in addition to recruits?
2: Well, I think I, I, I just look at the fact that all the players he started out with kept getting hurt and kept getting hurt, and he kept putting people in there, and they kept getting better. Uh, you know, it wasn't great by any means, but I have to give the guy credit for uh, having you know, we we all said before the season, if anybody gets hurt at cornerback, we're in trouble. Well, man, everybody did. At some point or another, everybody went down. I mean, there was a point in one of the games, I can't remember which one it was, I think K.J. Trujillo was slow getting up, and I thought, we don't have anybody. There's nobody left. And yet he still managed to put it together, and by the end of the season, those two young guys, Luckett and Trujillo, were playing pretty good football. So I, I think he did a pretty good job. Um we should mention his name is Traveris
1: Tillman. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, I mentioned him several times before. Yeah,
1: that's true. Uh, I guess if you look on the staff and, and there's one spot, you'd want an assistant coach that's more is green in terms of just not having that experience as a full-time assistant before. It's a cornerback where Mel Tucker obviously is going to assist right. as well.
2: as a guru. So, you know, teach him up and help him out and what have you. Um, and yeah, recruiting's been fine there. Right. So. And... It, you know, in terms of how are the players responding to him, I, I, mean, I haven't heard anything that, that suggests that it's anything but good. You know, I mean, he you know, seems
1: to have a, a good rapport with his guys. Right. They let us briefly down on the field for their open first uh, preseason practice. And, you know, you could tell the way the players interacted with him that right. he was a player's coach. And I mean, he played in the league for a long time. So uh, you'd be hurting yourself by not trying to take what you can get from him
2: right now I, I didn't see anything from anybody playing cornerback this year that suggested to me that they weren't okay with how everything was going
1: Mr. Gator 99 asked what do you think is the biggest difference in defensive line recruiting we seem to be doing better this year thanks in advance
2: well I think first of all is identifying players and it seems that they seem they seem to have an eye for talent so they brought in um, Austin Williams who didn't have a lot of power might not have had any power five nope. offers and he was actually pretty good for a young guy big kid who uh held his own Janaz jordan nobody else I mean, those, won't, those won't. are
1: stop gaps but they were just yeah, fine right. as, but they, as but, that right yeah.
2: but they stepped in and you know i i, I keep going back to 2017 and and pr- we brought in two juco guys and man they were on roller skates going backwards into the linebackers at least half or more of the plays, and I don't remember ever seeing that much this year. So at least we were stout up there. We didn't have a bunch of playmakers, but we had guys that were stout. The biggest difference in defensive line recruiting, well, uh, I don't know how to put it other what other than the, the head coach requires the defensive line coach to recruit, which, you know, I hate to beat the drum, but that wasn't required under the last head coach. The defensive line coach was not required to produce and recruit and this, now he is so they have to identify talent and they have to get out and recruit those guys and I also have a feeling and I don't have any inside information to back this up but I have a feeling that uh, that um, Mel Tucker got a little personal about the defensive line and recruiting some of those guys and I think that the Alfano situation for example had a lot to do with his relationship with that kid recruiting him to Georgia and you know that there was a, a, a level of trust that developed there so I I think it's it's the head coach requiring I think we have an experienced power five defensive line coach for one thing and I think we have a head coach with much higher expectations of what his staff is supposed to do
1: blue sky buff asked how likely is Antonio Alfano to play next year and do you expect him to start
2: right off the bat I'll say I, I don't think he starts really okay because I think the three guys we got are all are all potentially NFL guys So he would have to really light it up to come in and beat out one of those three guys, in my opinion.
1: But this is the one position where you'll see an Austin Williams play an entire series if they're going to give Sammy a breather. And so you can have four or five guys that kind of play similar reps, or at least four guys, you know, if you start rotating them.
2: Well, Mel Tucker said he wants to go eight deep. At one point, I remember him saying that to somebody, and, and uh, you know that's a that's a nice ideal. You can do that at Georgia for sure. Uh, we'd like to get there, and I think we're on our way. Uh, so I think I don't know. I'm you know I'm a CU fan, man. We've seen five star guys come in here, and none of them has ever been a five star guy in game day. Uh, the best we had, I think, was was Ryan Miller, and you know hard to say because he got that broken leg, but.
1: Well Marcus Houston had a pretty good start to the start, but it fizzled yeah. out pretty quickly.
2: Fizzled out, but so you know, I watch his film and and believe me, I fully understand how good Antonio Alfano is coming in. Um but I always take any new guy with a grain of salt and now he sort of sat out, you know, I don't I don't can't recall how I think he was there for, for fall camp and maybe for a couple games. At Alabama? Yeah. He
1: dressed for a couple of games, yeah. so he's, but, he's, but never played.
2: Right. So he's going to be kind of rusty because he didn't practice all season. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what he does coming in in, uh, in the spring game or spring practice. But I'm very excited about him. I, I don't have an answer to how likely he is to play.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get people's hopes up if, if it doesn't come through. But unfortunately, his grandmother that fell ill passed away recently. So this wasn't made up. This, right. Is it 100 percent of the reason things didn't work out at Alabama? There's probably some other stuff that went on. We don't, but I don't know. So it's always
2: complicated. Yeah, you know, life's not simple when it comes to those kinds of things.
1: But you see, some guys get waivers right. for a lot less than right. this. It would be pretty disappointing in the NCAA, I think, if he's not granted that waiver to play right, right away.
2: And I think if he if he's eligible to play next year, then I think he's a, a huge factor on our defensive line for sure.
1: Buff Predictor asked, what is the assessment of Brandon Lewis's arm strength? I see a lot of deep balls, some touch in his highlight videos, but no example of velocity or that he can make all the throws. For example, from one hash across the field to the opposite sideline. Not saying that is 100% necessary, but I think it's another degree of separation among many that separate the good to great prospects.
2: Well, I don't think you see those throws a lot in high school, and, and you certainly don't aren't required to have the kind of a lot one of the reasons why velocity makes a big difference here is because the defensive backs are so much faster so they can close on a ball and you know a guy in high school can get away with a throw that you can't get away with here because the defensive backs are faster more athletic longer arms everything that goes into it so i don't know i don't i don't think we first of all you know all i can look at is highlight videos what they pick just show right. me. I don't have access to game films to to, to really see because when you're going to evaluate it, uh, any prospect, it's really it's really the non-highlight plays that you want to look at at this level because they're going to show you what the downside is. Um, so I don't know that we know at this point what his arm strength really is. He hasn't really been required to make those like the you know that the opposite hash to the sideline. You're not going to see that throw in high school very much. Because first of all you don't have the receivers to to make that happen anyway so i think we have to wait and see what he does in spring ball as far as that goes
1: Why well, Buff asked educate us rookies about how the numbers in recruiting end up working out my specific question is about how spring or summer transfers work after the signing day in february is over do they count against the 2021 class or can they be matched with attrition for example two of our players transfer out, can we add two transfers that count against the 85, but not towards a specific class? So that 25 initial counters is is the issue in more cases than the 85 scholarship limit. His example is two players transfer out, can they add two new transfers? Not if you're up against that 25 initial counters, but it's my understanding that if they brought in a grad transfer or two this summer, and I think you put them on scholarship the first, the second day of camp. I don't know exactly how that like works, the blue but shirt. I think there's a way you can make that work to where they count ahead. But yeah, it does. I, I was joking with Tyler Ziskin on our other podcast that you start trying to crunch these numbers with gray shirts, blue shirts, counting back, counting forward, my head starts to hurt.
2: Right. It's like nuclear science. I mean, <laughs> but here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nobody is going to know how to do this better than a guy from one of the top SEC teams. Because let's face it, they figure out ways to make it work down there. So if you're at Georgia or Alabama or Auburn or LSU, they figure it out. Yeah. And there are ways, and there's, you know. Well,
1: it's how they got Luke Stillwell. And I right? honestly, I'd heard of Blue Shirt, but I actually had to research exactly what that is, and that wasn't a thing that had been done by a coach here before.
2: Right. You know, you know, ask any good lawyer out there and, and – Okay, there's laws, but there's loopholes and there's ways around them. And there, and, and if anybody can figure it out, Mel Tucker's going to be that guy. So that's I, I just kind of I throw up my hands and trust the man on that one.
1: I once had uh, a source, not not on the current staff, but when I would always badger about numbers because I get asked so many questions by fans about numbers that I want to educate myself. And he stopped me and just looked at it and said, Adam, those are head coach's problems. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. It'll work <laughs> right. itself out. Right. You but figured. I get it because you want to, okay, can they bring in a, another grad transfer safety this summer? And right. I get the curiosity. Right. For sure.
2: And we look at what happened last year with the, you know, the grad, some of the grad transfers we brought in were huge difference makers this year. And so we're hoping to see that this year as
1: well. And we'll wait and see. Yeah. Buff 24 asked, love the podcast, Adam. I want to ask a big picture question. Lots of recruiting gets analyzed down to the details, height, weight, speed, ranking stars, etc. But what is your opinion/feel on the overall success of our recruiting program at this point? To me, it seems like the players we are pursuing and signing are better than we have been seen in the past 10 years. We also seem to be much more aggressive in identifying younger players to offer. You've been covering this business for a long time, so just looking for an expert's opinion on the inexact science of predicting the future. Thanks. The word that he used in there is the word I would describe with this staff and recruiting, and that's aggressive.
2: Yeah. Well, and and, and it's a bigger staff. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I remember watching the replay of one of the games and the announcers were talking about how many more staff members he's got. I don't mean assistant coaches. I mean people analyzing film and people... Uh, Uh, responsible for setting up the visits and, and there's just a lot more people doing that at this point and so it's really a much more professional organization as far as how they identify guys as how as far as they pursue guys and recruit guys so you know i've been watching recruiting for 40 years and uh for the most part the guys that are highly rated end up being the guys that are stars so the more you're in on those kinds of guys, the more you're chasing after the Jason Harris's of the world, um, the more you're going to improve your talent on your team and be a better team. So uh, in terms of, I guess trying to get back to what the actual question here is, um, I guess the question is, are we better now than we were? I think we are.
1: Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. You yeah. have to actually actually see itself, show itself on the field. Um, it sounds like this contradicts itself on one hand you want to look at the commitment list and see that these guys have a lot of power other power five options right on the other hand you don't want to be offered chasers as a staff so to your point about evaluating and and being confident in your evaluation skills like Matt McChesney's mentioned they this staff unlike previous staffs doesn't ask me when I tell them this kid is really good the first question out of their mouth now is not Who who else is offered? And that's Again, it sounds like it contradicts itself. You want to see guys that have other power conference options, but you also want a staff that is confident to be the first to offer a Caden Dudley. And, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of other schools. You know, sometimes it hurts a kid if he commits early because there's less teams that are willing to put their offer out there. But... Does does that make any sense?
2: Yeah, I mean if you're you know so if you're Notre Dame or Alabama, you, you can offer the top hundred guys in the, in the country, right? And then yeah. you you just fill up with the top guys. Where we are, uh, you have to be able to identify guys who can play. Okay, so some some guy like an Austin Williams, for example, is a guy that did the rest of the Power Five didn't really think much of, but we brought him in here, and he turned out to be a pretty good player, at least so far. So you have to be able to identify those guys and and bring them in. But then you also have to be able to go after the guys that everybody knows are good players and convince them to come play here. So you have to sell them on something aside from we're going to be in the national championship. Okay, so you have to have a couple of things. You have to have the ability to identify talent. You have to have the ability to connect with that talent and bring them in here. So I think that this staff so far, what they've shown us, is a pretty good eye for talent. Um and they're bringing in guys. Uh, I think we have a higher percentage of guys with a lot more power five offers as opposed to what I guess most of us call projects type of guys with no offers and hope we develop them up. The other side of the coin is you got to develop those guys because I don't care how good a guy is coming out of high school. They don't know how to play the game. Not at this level. And the interesting thing is when they go on to the next level, they got to learn it there too so guys come out of college for example fifth year four year start at offensive line and the knock is well he doesn't know technique yet so at each level you have to teach those guys up how to play the game at that level so that's another part of it I think from what I see we have a much more professional and complete um, recruiting process and um, program and that includes a lot more guys evaluating a lot more film Um, so identifying guys and how we get them to come here
1: well having that mantra we recruit every day right and it goes from Mel Tucker all the way down you know down the line
2: the interview with with Darian Hagan, where he said you know this coach requires us to watch a certain number of film. I don't know if he did put a number or a time limit on it, but
1: well, he says every day there's right. stuff in my queue that I have to watch, and right. it's not just okay. This is Friday at three, so we're going to watch a bunch of film. It, it's a daily. It's a part of their daily process, right?
2: Now. And it was not clearly under the last coach. So,
1: and they they spent a lot of time recruiting, right. obviously, but right? Not quite to the emphasis of this is something you will do every single day if you're a. Part of this staff.
2: And that goes back to, we were talking about, you know, the defensive line coaches. What is the expectation of the head coach that every member of this staff will be recruiting? And, you know, that doesn't always mean that every member of the staff has got to sign a bunch of four- and five-star guys. It means that you're working hard at it, and, and you're identifying guys and putting the effort in and, and putting the time in.
1: And the other thing is, it's more positional now, so if you right. don't put the time in, right. you're not going to have the guys in your room that you want to compete with. right. I A, Buff asked,
2: <laughs> A lot of guns to the head today.
1: Gun to the head. Would you rather spend 24 hours with Scott Frost or that so-called quarterback guru, Warren McCarty? Pull the trigger. So let me preface this by saying I've not liked Nebraska since the first day I started watching college football. I don't know quite what it was because I didn't grow up in Colorado. Just something about that program always rubbed me the wrong way. I don't like the cut of Scott Frost's jib. He right. seems like a, I don't know, he comes off the wrong way to me. But if I have to spend 24 hours, believe it or not, Scott Frost actually knows a few things about right. football. I could probably learn a few things by hanging out with him. I would right. uh, not enjoy that experience. Uh, but if I sat down with Warren McCarty, I don't think I'm really going to learn a whole lot.
2: Or, or come out of it. Or come out of it with uh, anything positive. Yeah, frankly, I so. don't know. I, I, yeah, I, I think I might have some, just say okay, gun to the, pull the trigger. Don't want to be with either one of them.
1: Castle Rock Buff asked, "What's the name of your dentist?" And wins your next appointment. <laughs> so I think I think things have changed. There was a time there, and it doesn't happen often that I've got to just be completely off the grid for a few days here or there for whatever reason. And I would put it on the board, and then seemingly every time, there'd be a commit or two, and sometimes more than a couple commits. They would just seem to come flooding in. I went to the dentist uh, about three, four months ago. No commits. Nothing. So I have another appointment scheduled in the spring, so we'll see.
2: Or maybe take a trip or something, would not it, when you would take trips and...
1: Well, I went on my honeymoon in July, and nothing happened the entire week we were gone. So I think it's changed.
2: Yeah, the worm has turned. It's a whole different uh, thing now.
1: Buffs Up asked, how did you describe your job to your wife when you first met? And then he used the quote, it's kind of like I'm a security guard at a mental institution. If you think of it that way, you won't be far off. (laughs) Is that how I describe my job? No, because I I wanted there to be a second date. I wasn't going to... reveal the
2: underbelly on the first right well plus you got moderators to take care of the dirty work
1: yeah i try though to go through every thread and i enjoy debates and discussion
2: well that's what i like about the board you know i've been around for a long time And, and you know i'm gonna echo what somebody else said on the board i go where you go man so that's why i'm at Scout because you came here that's well, where I came to it's
1: 24-7 sports but I appreciate yeah. it <laughs> yeah
2: well okay sorry cutting you in trouble with the boss but uh, um, you know I enjoy the back and forth and the give and take and, and everybody's got an opinion and, and I learn things on there and, and I, I feel like you know we're a big crazy weird family but we've a lot of us have been there for a long time and we got new people coming in and we start winning games we're going to get more people on there yeah. and it's more fun to me when there's something going on and people are talking about stuff than those, you know, long stretches in the summer when there's nothing going on and yeah. nothing happens.
1: We have had to ban people over the years. I mean, people have just gone egregiously over the line. But I could probably count on my hand the number of people we've ever had to do that with. The thing I and then if people have issues with others, I'm always like, there, there is an ignore button on. Right. it. you don't have to follow every poster.
2: Right. And you don't have to open every thread. If you don't like the thread, stop opening and stop looking at it. I mean, you know, it's, it's the ultimate in uh, democracy, I guess. You, you vote by, by what you click on.
1: Well, we've got to sign off here. we got a bunch of videos. Uh, you're headed out to do a little gambling this week? Yeah,
2: we're going to spend the rest of the week up in Black Hawk and just kind of relax and get away from our jobs and enjoy are fun
1: slots, craps, blackjack.
2: Uh, Kathy likes the roulette. She calls it "Let's go play the spinny game."
1: Okay. <laughs> she, do you have a strategy on this, or do you just? Call uh, it?
2: No, she's a lot better at it than I am, and she just picks her. I think you know, she picks her numbers the way she picks her numbers, and I don't know. That's what we do
1: all right maybe i'll put it, have you put 100 on black for me feeling lucky yeah. this week <laughs> this was fun william thanks for taking the time out again uh, buff com, december 18th it's going to be like it always is a ton of coverage we're gonna have a ton of content coming your way and even though a lot of these guys have been on board that's just something that feels different when they actually put pen to paper right. and are officially a buff
2: well and it's it's uh, a lot of fun i'd love to do it maybe we can get maybe we can get together in a few weeks after it's all done and sort of rehash how it played out
1: and, yeah and
2: what happens and you know, there used to be, there would always be a big surprise on signing day one way or the other, but nowadays it seems like it's all pretty much... He,
1: he, Even I, if a kid waits to announce right. like, the crystal balls, and there's right. different ways we can kind of throw hints out.
2: I, I'm trying to think when was the last time. Can you remember, when was the last time we really had a true big surprise? You know, oh, wow, didn't see that guy coming.
1: It's happened since then, but obviously Daryl Scott was the last really big signing day announcement. we're... No one seemed to really know 100% what yeah. he was going to do.
2: Yeah. And, I, you know, it used to be every year there would be some guy that you, you'd wake up and you'd start looking at who's sending their things,
1: and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know we were recruiting that guy. Well, last year, Kier Elam, the safety from Florida. Oh, right. was, like, borderline buff commit the day before the signing day, and he ended up staying close to home. But right. That If Mel Tucker had pulled that off.
2: Right, that would have been something. Yeah. If that had been this year, he might have done it. I don't know. You know, just didn't quite have enough time to develop that relationship. Yeah. But, you know, it's exciting moving forward. Uh, Somebody mentioned about how they're, you know, in on so many young guys a lot earlier. So it's going to be fun, I think, watching as we go forward.
1: All right. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with the new Buff Stampede Radio.